you ever meet somebody who just knew how to press your buttons? Like they could find always the hot button topic that's just going to set you off and go put you into a rampage. They just get you started and they'd let you go. I read one writer who said it well, said, set yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. Now, obviously, that's out of a different context, but admittedly, sometimes I've pressed that hot button just to watch the show, just to be like, all right, let's get them going, and then let's grab some popcorn and, and sit back and enjoy. To be sure, sometimes it's so it's just saying, so the Bills blew it this weekend, huh? And just let them go. Have you ever meet somebody that, for whatever reason, everything was a hot button topic for them? Every topic was a 10, or if I can dare to steal from the old movie Spinal Tap, everything is an 11, where every question requires a nuclear response. Trust me, I used to be that guy, and it never went anywhere good. I promise you that. Last week, if you were hanging out with us, we talked about the effect of being forgiven from our old ways. We sin, we're forgiven, then we're recommissioned to get back out there, that act three, that we were talking about in Psalm 51. We're sent back out there, so to speak. Well, in today's culture, where it really seems, especially if you hang out on social media at all, it seems like everything is an 11. How do we live as an alternative to the world rather than a copy of it? Well, Paul offers us some reminders to his loyal child in the faith, as he terms him, in Titus 3. So we're going to break up bits of Titus 3 into different sections, about one or two verses at a time. It opens up with the first two verses, like this. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show courtesy to everyone. Now, Titus, as part of Paul's uh, missionary team, is being left behind on the island of Crete to help establish the church. It was still fairly young, but he's, Paul commissions him to put in some solid leaders, to get them moving in a godly direction. And consider what he's working with as uh, the letter opens up in Titus 1.12. It was one of them, their very own prophet, who said, Cretans are always liars, vicious brutes, lazy gluttons. That's some serious allegations, and that's coming from one of their own people. Paul is... Uh, bold as he is, he's a little bit kinder a few vers verses earlier in, number, in uh, verse 10. There are also many rebellious people, idle talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. And amidst this kind of crowd, Paul tells Titus, remind them. So one can assume that these are not entirely new concepts to the church. Even though it's probably pretty young, Paul had been on this island. He had probably given them the, the Christian 101 lessons, but like all of us, sometimes we need it reinforced, especially when the hot button gets pushed and we're, we get all those stress hormones going and everything like that. Sometimes we just need to be reminded of the basics. All right, we're friends. We're family. Paul offers another reminder to help set up their sent outness that they have. In Titus 3.3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. You know, God help us if any Christian wrote an honest autobiography of their before Christ days. 
And Paul is laying into believers worse than he does the pagans. Now, to be sure, he lumps himself in with this group. He knows what his history is like. But note the verb that he uses. Again, in Titus 3.3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, despicable, hating one another. For we ourselves were, we were, all these things, which is very different than we are. So what does he do with this we were? What, this, what comes out of it? What happened that brought us out of what we were? God showed up. God showed up. We see it in verses 4 and 5. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, He saved us, not because of any works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the water of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. God showed up and saved us through Jesus Christ from the penalty of all our before Christ stuff, all the foolishness, the disobedience, the being led astray, the maliciousness, the enviousness. Why? Because of his character. Again, we see it in 3 and 4, where he says, the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior. Again, whose traits? Because of the kindness and goodness of God our Savior. Not us. I don't see us in there anywhere as far as contributing something to the situation of being saved. Uh, Louis Burkhoff, who is a, a Reformed theologian from back in the day, says regeneration is a creative work of God and is therefore a work by which man is purely passive, in which there is no place for human contribution or cooperation. Now, I realize I'm spending some time on the basics here, things that we've actually even covered more in depth in the last couple of weeks. But this is one of, gospel, one of Paul's gospel summaries. So just to complete the picture, let's look at what verses 6 and 7 say. This spirit he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This foundation will help put the rest of the passage into its proper context. Because if we get the cart before the horse, especially with this kind of passage, we're going to start to, it's going to start to look like the gospel is a collection of do's and don'ts. Like it's all about works or something like that. But listen to the passage continue, or the letter continue in verse 8. The saying is sure. I desire that you insist on these things, so that those who have come to believe in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works, these things are excellent and profitable to everyone. So what kind of works is Paul talking about here? Well, let's review verse 1 again. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Now note the characterization that Paul puts on these. He says, these things are excellent and profitable to everyone. Now, if these traits are a part of your regular life, then I've seen in, in friends that even people who are antagonistic to your beliefs will look at you and go, nope, I got nothing against them. I may disagree with them, but their character is awesome. They're, they're great people. I want to hang around with them. My day is better because of them. So can I dare to bring this around a little bit? What does this look like in life? Or what does a life look like that has this going on? In order to, to live it out, it's a life where not every topic is an eleven. Not every subject requires a nuclear response, or sometimes even 
Not every subject requires a response at all. See Paul's contrast as the letter continues in verses 9 through 11, where he really starts to lay into what our world is like today. But avoid stupid controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law, for they are unprofitable and worthless. After a first or second admonition, have nothing more to do with anyone who causes divisions, since you know that such a person is perverted and sinful, being self-condemned. No, that is not a typo. The NRSV actually uses the phrase stupid controversies. If you think that's too much, I looked up the, the original lemma word to see what other ways people translate it. Foolish, stupid, dull, nonsense. I mean, the original word in the Greek is moros. Guess what English word we get the equivalent of? You only got to change one letter. Yeah, that's right. Moron. I love how one pastor puts it into an honest context. He says things were different back in Paul's time. People had controversies over politics back then. We don't know anything about that today. People had controversies over skin color and gender equality and national identity. Totally different than today. So how in the world do we make this 2,000-year-old text relevant for the 21st century? Well, that's going to be a challenge. Yes, that is all meant in sarcasm. But you know what? I talk, Speaking of the 21st century, I talked to a friend of mine who does ministry in the next town in Palmyra. And he's a guy who, because of his ministry, and he kind of does, he does theater ministry, so he kind of gets um, a wide variety of crowd with him. And he gets people who are often up in his grill contesting his beliefs and, and challenging him. And quite honestly, he's a guy who, if it came down to it, he could knock just about anybody's grill from Palmyra to East Rochester, about 20 miles down the road. But I asked him, knowing that he's been doing this for many years, um, 20, 20 some odd years or so, I think, he's been doing his, his theater ministry. I asked him, um, when it comes down to a situation where it's really going to be one or the other, where you have mutually exclusive options here, do you go for the relationship or do you go for being right? And he said, I go for the relationship. Now, to be sure, this is a guy who proclaims the gospel with more boldness than anybody I have ever met. He would love to see the antagonist come to accept Christ as his Lord and Savior. But he holds being right next to what Paul writes in Ephesians 4.31 when he says this, Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander, together with all malice. Now that's just one example of Paul laying into that theme of, of these are the old ways. Put these things away. I'm guessing if I did a study on it, I could find 20 similar passages that go along that line. Put away this stuff. Put away the anger and the malice and the hatred and the dissension. For every one time that I could find a be right passage. Again, not every topic is an 11. Even for the believer, not every topic requires the public nuclear response. Just looking at Christian history, not even talking about you know the, the patristic fathers, I'm talking about like in the last decade. If you don't like the Starbucks coffee cup, don't go to Starbucks. Yeah, Christians got all 11 trying to cancel Starbucks. And they did the same with Target and Disney and Teletubbies. In fact, 
Paul says, all right, if we're going to cancel something, let's look at who we're supposed to cancel. He says it in verses 10 and 11. Check it out. After a first and second admonition, have nothing more to do with anyone who causes divisions, since you know that such a person is perverted and sinful, being self-condemned. I know, that can be a hard message, for, especially for a believer to hear. That Paul says, you know what? The Christian who causes dissension and division, they're the ones who need to be canceled. So this week, let's, let's put this practical here for you. This week, when somebody hits that hot button of yours, whatever your hot button happens to be, that's just going to send you over the cliff in, in rant and rave, rather than thinking of how much fun it would be to blast them, and I get it, I have thought about how much fun it would be, keep Titus 3.2 in mind, where Paul says this, Speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show every courtesy to everyone. Now, I get that is a next step that we could practice for the next 20 years before we get it right. But imagine what the world would look like if show every courtesy was the default for Christians, let alone the world. Let's pray together. Jesus, forgive us for those times when we've been the ones that Paul says need to get canceled when we're the ones who choose being right over, over what you say about maintaining some degree of unity and some degree of being an alternative to the world rather than just a copy of it. Help us to be bold in doing that, in showing your love, in showing your hope, because you are our Lord and Savior. Help us to do that well, that you may receive glory and honor, we pray. Amen.